Sometimes you just can't say it better than the collect of the day. It really nails it today, doesn't it? Because through the weakness of our mortal natures, we can do no good thing without you. We pray. And that's largely what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at the gospel lesson. Uh, When I was young, uh, I struggled with high blood pressure. I actually still do. Um, But the doctors were really concerned because I had an enlarged heart. And so in my teenage years, I had to go into the hospital and have the dye injected and um, the scans done. And I had to ask myself continually, first, is this good for my heart? Is this good for my heart? Before I did anything. Doctors got it under control. I was on blood pressure medicine. Again, I was Dilem, and um, things are fine. And I don't have to ask that question anymore. But as we look at the text today, I propose to you the main theme is that question, but speaking spiritually rather than physically. Asking the question of ourselves, but is it good for my heart? Last week, Deacon Zach preached to us on the Beatitudes in Luke. And as we look today at the same gospel, but just a little later in the chapter, we have a famous passage about loving your enemies. It begins with verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And it continues on. It's important, friends, to notice that this passage is continuing the Beatitudes. In Luke 6.32, and if you have your Bibles open, I invite you to read it with me. We read this. If you love those who love you, What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. What's Jesus saying here? What benefit is is it to you that love those who love you? In other words, you're no better than those around you, and your heart is no better formed than those around you if you treat ethics as, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do a good turn to me, I'll do a good turn to you. Right? And we know in our human nature that's hard enough to be consistent with. But rather, Jesus' rationale here is that there's some kind of reward or good outside of the human system. Do you see? He asks, What good is it to you? What good is it to the Christian? Well, there's no earthly good, frankly. When someone abuses you or is your enemy and you pray for him or her, there's no earthly good there. God might make it good somehow, but that's not the main point. But there is a heavenly good that's going on here. 
Jesus is reiterating to us God's perspective in this passage. Just as the Beatitudes were the marks of citizenship as Deacon Zach preached of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus continues here to show us the heart of God. And it's an expansion, if you will, of Luke 6.22, where we read, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And underline this, if you are an underliner, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. See, then you can jump down to verse 32. What benefit is it to you? We're still talking about the same benefit, the same reward. And he continues on that, right? If we continue in the passage, we see this come up again. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The reward will be great, says Jesus. Finally, here's the main point of the text. Verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be what? Sons of the Most High. Sons of the Most High. For he is kind and ungrateful. He is kind, rather, to the ungrateful and to the evil. Do you see that? What's Jesus saying here? If you want to be like my father, love your enemies. Jesus would show later on the cross the supreme example of this when he's being crucified and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What is that? That's the crux of this passage. That's the heart of this passage. Jesus praying for those oppressing him. Jesus praying for those abusing him. Jesus praying for those whipping him, nailing to the, to the cross, killing him. God's reaction is one of grace. It's one of prayer. It's one of blessing. So what is Jesus commanding his followers to do here? If it's not a new ethic, if it's not a new politic, what is it? It's an assessment of the heart. And it's a very clear instruction that we as Jesus' followers need to reorient our priorities. Because our instinct, our human nature, is to strike back when those strike us. Is to abuse those who abuse us. Is to insult those who insult us. Is to say, I'm never lending again when someone comes up to us, asks for money, and then doesn't pay it back. That's our human nature. 
But Jesus is saying the heart of the follower of Jesus is something different because the Holy Spirit's moving in it and changing it and forming it. The fruits of repentance which Jesus names are those which the world cannot achieve by any ethic it may invent or practice. This is R.C. Lenski, a turn-of-the-century commenter on the passage. Let me read the first part of that again. The fruits of repentance which Jesus names are those which the world cannot achieve. You see, the key here is that it's not an ethic. It's not in you do this, you do not do this. It is you do this because you're my followers and you're able to do this, as we prayed in the collect earlier on. To miss that is to miss the entire point of this passage. The world cannot achieve loving your enemy. The world cannot achieve praying for those who persecute. The world cannot achieve giving grace rather than demanding justice. As Tim Polinski and I were having a cigar this week at Robusto and Briar here in town, we were talking about this. We look around at the world and our world is a gotcha world. We expect perfection from each other, but we expect mercy and grace for ourselves. Aha, look at that politician. He was found wearing blackface. Gotcha. Now we'll drag him down. Yes. But hey, don't pay attention to the things I did in college. Let's not talk about that. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't hold people to a good and moral uh, rule? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm, I am saying that a, a culture that lives like that is all law, and all, not even God's law, it's all law made up by human beings so that somebody can lord it over somebody else and somebody else can be a victim. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Weaponizing victimhood, calling others to account simply to destroy them is not what we're called to do. Rather, we are called what? To hold people to account, yes, but to give forgiveness, to show grace, to show that redemption and restoration is possible. To show the love that Christ showed us. You see, it doesn't invalidate justice. It doesn't get rid of what we deserve. But rather, it grants grace and mercy instead of retribution and perhaps untempered revenge. We continue on. Look, we pray this prayer in our confession daily if we're doing morning and evening prayer. During the confession we say, Lord, apart from your grace, there is no health in us. That's an admission to who we are as Christians. Apart from your grace, O oh Lord, there is no health in us. 
I cannot even do the Ten Commandments. I cannot even attain to the most basic of the law without you. Now, with all of that in mind, read these verses from the gospel again. Starting with verse 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And who are the ungrateful and the evil? You, me, all mankind. What Jesus is most concerned about in this passage is our hearts as Christians. Think about it. What's worse, to lose your cloak, to lose money that you've given somebody, to lose your prestige, to lose your pride because someone striked you and insulted you, or to lose your holiness because in your reaction to those things, you've become malicious, you've become bent, you become judgmental, wanting retribution, wanting condemnation. You've become twisted up with rage and anger. What's worse, to lose your cloak or to lose a piece of your holiness? What's Jesus say? The cloak, the coat, that's nothing compared to the state of your heart, compared to the state of your soul. Let the cloak go. What's worse, to lose that money you lent to someone and never get back? Or to walk away from that situation and say, I'm never lending money again, and to lose your generosity? What's worse, to lose something material or something that's rooted in our pride and our desires, or to lose the image of God that's being built in us. That's what Jesus is driving at here. Far worse is it to lose that holiness, that sanctification. Look, we have an excellent example of this in the Old Testament. Did you catch the Old Testament reading? Leah and I were talking about it in preparation for the service today. What does Joseph have to do with this passage? 
right? You know, this is Joseph of, of the many-colored coat. What's going on here? And we read here, Joseph sees his brothers who have what? Taken his coat, taken his money, taken his inheritance, taken his freedom, thrown him into a pit, left him for dead, and here he is in Pharaoh's court, and they come back to him, and Joseph could have very easily, and I also might say very justly said, you know what, to heck with you. In fact, Joseph's the Pharaoh's right-hand man. He probably could have had them executed. But what does Joseph do? He sees the bigger picture. He sees that this is about his heart. What you intended for evil, he says, God has used for good. You see, Joseph is embodying this passage way back in the Old Testament in Genesis 45. Additionally, what Jesus is saying here is that it's not, it's not ultimately up to us to set justice. God gives us courts. God gives us magistrates. God gives us governments. God gives us many good gifts which do administer justice most of the time. Romans 14 says the state doesn't wield the sword in vain. Right? The psalm tells us, however, that even when governments fail, even when justice isn't had, who is it who sits in judgment? The Lord God. So if the justice thing is still bothering you, remember this. If you think that you have to exact justice on this earth, you are doubting God's ability to exact justice at the end of time. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. The Lord will take care of the reckoning. Ours is to bask and proclaim the grace. Ours is to allow the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our reward is from God. Our priority should be imitating him. So the next time you find yourself being marginalized or insulted or stolen from or being repaid, by all means, you can seek justice. But first, stop and ask yourself, what will my reaction do to my heart? How will my word thought, or deed reacting to this thing affect my relationship with Jesus Christ? Will it make me look more like him or less like him? And then think of the man on the cross who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What's more valuable? Amen.